Uh, really excited about this class because what we're going to be talking about um, today is um, probably going to bring up a little bit of a discussion because I don't know if everybody's going to agree with these thoughts, but because what we're going to talk about is things that your Sunday school teacher wouldn't mention uh, and most people wouldn't consider to be biblical. Um, and so we'll kind of take a look at that and see where we can go from that. Uh, let's go ahead and begin uh, with a time of prayer. God, we just want to thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to come and, and to continue to learn more about you and uh, the plan of forgiveness that you set out so many years ago. And so, Lord, we pray that not only will we accept that forgiveness in our lives, but we will share it with others and we will find ourselves being freed from the prison that we oftentimes lock ourselves into. Lord, we want to give you thanks for your goodness, for your greatness, and for your amazing, never-ending love that you have shown to us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Last week we uh, talked about uh, the first of four steps uh, to forgiveness, and that was the idea of hurting. And hurting is something that we have to uh, come to understand and come to grips with that when you hurt, it's important to allow yourself to feel that hurt because if you don't, then you're missing out on an opportunity to forgive, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to, as I mentioned a moment ago, to release yourself from that prison. Uh, the next step that we're going to talk about is going to involve a word that we don't use very often in church. Uh, we tend to think that it's a word that we're not allowed to feel, uh, and it's certainly not one that we would think that biblically is sound. Uh, and so this may cause a little bit of questioning, but I think through a, a, a glimpse of Scripture this morning, I think we're going to have a better understanding of why this might be appropriate. And if that keeps making that noise the whole time, it's going to drive me crazy. Okay, I'm going to try to tuck this away because I think it's moving too much. Okay, after we have and continue to deal with the hurt, the next stage that we feel is hate. We hate. Now already I know we're going to get some pushback. People say, whoa, 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 we're Christians, we don't hate. God calls us not to hate because God doesn't hate. That's not really a part of the deal. So let me ask you this. Uh, this is a quote from Lewis uh, Smeads, a book we've been using uh, a lot of, uh, Forgive and Forget. Uh, he says, hate is the tiger snarling in our soul. Hate is our natural response to any deep and unfair pain. I want to read that last sentence one more time so Kip can write that down. Hate is our natural response to any deep and unfair pain. Agree or disagree? Hate is our natural response to any unfair and deep pain. Remember we talked about when you feel hurt, it's based on uh, whether it's uh, unfair, whether it's deep, whether it's personal. So are we all, does everybody feel good with the fact that it's natural to hate? Does anybody disagree with that? We are in church, and I expected to be in a church building that people say, no, we can hate. But all of you have been around men long enough to know that it's okay to hate. <laughs> yes, 
not only are we going to see that it's a natural response, but in fact there's some really, really good people in the Bible who had that same response. Um, can it be natural to want to do something that is so wrong? I want to turn to Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Uh, this is a passage uh, that I love. Uh, Paul weaves together uh, this a paragraph, uh, and it's just um, poetic in its sounding, but yet its truth rings so true. We know, Romans, 4, uh, Romans 7, starting in verse 14, it says, We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep, go, I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So that's kind of gets you going in a circle as you listen to what Paul says as he whacks on about, he, he says, I do the things that I don't want to do, that I hate to do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul saying this. I mean, he is a super apostle in some instances, even self-described. I mean, he, he gave his life for Jesus. He, he gave up everything that he had, not only in death, but in life, the things that he had going for him. He sacrificed those. He says, that's rubbish. I don't want those things. I, I, I want to find Christ. But even in that, he says, man, I mess up a lot. And I think he found himself, he would be the one who say, you know what, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we do things that, um, that are the natural things to do. We want to hate. Remember, forgiving is unnatural. Forgiving is unnatural. Okay, so I said that as a statement claiming it's truth. Is there any validity to that? Do you agree with me that forgiveness is unnatural? Yes. And, and as the Spirit of God, He calls us to forgiveness. He calls us to love. But that's an unnatural thing. As humans, our nature is... It is to hate at, at times. And so we have to war against that. Paul talks about in other times, Philippians for instance, he talks about this war that goes on within him. But forgiving is unnatural. Why is it, why is it unnatural to forgive? Yes. We cry not for forgiveness, but for justice. We want people to get what they deserve for hurting us. We want retribution, revenge. We want to see the sorry louse feel the same pain that they inflicted upon us. Maybe worse. Because, of course, we would have never done the thing that they did to us. And they're the monster that hurt us, and so we need to make sure that they feel that pain. God's decision to forgive us and punish His Son was unnatural. 
God's decision to forgive us and to allow His Son to carry that sin is unnatural. I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's not a lot of things real logical about what God chose to do. In fact, you read through, right now we're studying on Sundays the Sermon on the Mount. You read through that with a critical eye and and not read it as though this is the Bible and this is the... Uh, inerrant word of God that is, you know, it's God-breathed. If, you, if somebody just handed you a piece of paper that says, if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek and let them hit you again. If somebody wants to sue you and take your coat, let them have your cloak as well. If somebody forces you to go one mile with them, go with them two miles. And that had real significance for the Jews of that time and I don't, I don't want to get into that right now, but that was probably the worst of the three things, is going that second mile for that Roman soldier. If you would have read that, you would have said, this is crazy. This is not logical. The first will be last. Bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. The things in which God calls us to are in some ways illogical and certainly unnatural. Forgiveness being one of the greatest of those. Hate, justice, and revenge is what we have to war against. So, uh, if we were to pick up the Bible and read some passages, do you think we could find some that include the idea of hate? How about we look at one right now? Psalm 137. We are going to read the entire chapter of Psalm 137 which happens to be nine verses, so I mean, don't get too comfortable. Uh, And if you have your Bibles, feel free to open up and read along with me. Don't believe that that I'm I'm reading straight from the Bible. Uh, You can read along with me. Uh, I choose to, to read the NIV 1984 version. Anyone is appropriate. This is the one I've used forever, and I'm stubborn. And so you can follow along with me or read your own version. It says this, By the rivers of Babylon, let me uh, set the tone for this. Uh, This is when uh, Judah has already been uh, carried off into uh, captivity uh, and they are now being uh, oppressed. Um, uh, It says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is the, the city of Jerusalem. There on the poplars, the poplars are trees, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of these songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on that day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Now listen to these last two verses. I mean, this this is from the Bible. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Is that that pretty strong language? I mean, did you just hear 
I mean, that's, this, this is, this is, I mean, I've heard some pretty rough country western songs. And I mean, I've heard Earl's Gotta Die. You know, they put them in the trunk and they, but dashing their infants on the rocks. What hate the psalmist here has for the Babylonians. Let's look at another one. Um, this is actually comes from Psalm 31. Uh, Jennifer and I went through a little rough spell a little while back, and for some reason I came across this. Uh, I found a lot of comfort in the Psalms because although we have lots of songs of joy, you know, Psalm 100, uh, enter the gates of thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, you know, and Psalm 95, come let us sing with joy to the Lord. You have all these songs that seem happiness and joyful, but if you look closely... You're going to find that a lot of these psalms share other emotions besides joy and thanksgiving. They're not all the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, it's more than just these tranquil, tranquil waters. Sometimes you find yourselves in difficult positions. And the psalmist chooses to write about them. And when we were going through a tough time, I found comfort in Psalm 31. Uh, but here's a few verses that come from it. For starting in verse 17 of Psalm 31, it says, Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in their grave. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. Do you think the psalmist at that point, possibly David hiding out in a cave, do you think he, he was thinking of flowers and valleys and streams? No, instead he obviously was struggling with revenge for those who he hated. Okay, let's look at one more. Psalm 139. How many of you, does anybody know, just can you think when you hear Psalm 139, do you know what you're thinking of? Jennifer's shaking her head, she knows Psalm 139. All of you have heard parts of Psalm 139. Whether you recognize the number or not, it is one of the most beautiful psalms there is. I love Psalm 139. I, this is the one where it talks about, uh, you knit me together in my uh, mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. And he talks about, if I counted the, the thoughts of you, they would outnumber the sands of the seashore. I mean, it's just beautiful, poetic it's this psalm of love that God cares for us. If, if I go here, He is there. If I go there, He is there. If I go to the highest place, He's there. You know, if I go to the depths, God is there. I mean, and then, but then there's a little problem. Because up to this point, it's a great psalm. Uh, in fact, uh, several times I've used this psalm uh, when we've met with, with someone who's had difficult time. Uh, and maybe they're... They're having, uh, they're having sickness or issues. And, and we've prayed this prayer before, Psalm 139. But then we get into a little trouble. Because we get down to verse 19. And there's a shift. And listen to what, after he says, you know, I, I can't get away from you. You're always there for me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And he says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. 
Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. A- Amen. Is that how you end? Is that how you end that prayer of God's deliverance? Is saying, but don't forget God, I hate those who hate you. I abhor them and I count them as my enemies. I'm kind of questioning now where this is coming from. Is this coming from the Bible? I mean, does God ordain these thoughts of hatred? Are we allowed to feel this way? Is it natural to feel this way? Yes. Does God want us to feel this way? Uh, okay, now here's the things he says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven things that are detestable to God. Uh, one thing we want to remember as we're going through Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, this is all one book that we look, we call it the Bible, and we kind of separate New and Old Testament. These are 66 different books. Each one of them had a different genre uh, and so we read these differently. You don't read Revelation the same way uh, that you would read Matthew. You definitely don't read Daniel the same way that you would read Leviticus. And Psalms you read different than you would Acts. Uh, and so these are more uh, poetic in nature. And, and so when we, uh, if you're into poetry, I'm not. I love to rhyme words, but I, I'm not a poet. But poetry uh, has a little creative licensing. Uh, and so, uh, and sometimes we over-exaggerate in poetry and we use words that maybe are not the exact words that we use, they're a little more figurative. And that seems to be the case a little bit in Psalms. Uh-huh. That's right. And, and I've got to stop you there because you're about to take away the rest of my material for class. But, but Winnie, you're right. Um, I don't want to say that, na- uh, that ha- hatred is neutral. Um, you know, I would say like money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad because um, it is money that was used um, to send out missionaries, to spread the word, and so it's good. Money has also been used to, to kill and, and to sell people, and it's been used poorly. Uh, hate it can be the same way because um, hate, uh, if you hold on to it, can destroy you. It can tear you to, uh, to pieces, but hate has been used to motivate people. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, my, uh, I'll use this very carefully. Um, my, I was really close to my parents. I was, a little, I was a little homebody. I was the one until probably 12 or 13 years old. If I went to stay at somebody's house, I would always end up like being homesick. Uh, after 13, I was like, my parents don't know anything, whatever, I'm smarter than them, and so it changed. But I, I was a homeboy, I, I was very close, my family's really close, until I was about 15 years old, my, my parents got a divorce, and it turned my world upside down. My, my dad left, and he was my hero and my best friend, and I loved him, and all of a sudden he was gone. I mean, I, I, you know, it was like I got to see him you know, every other weekend, and it was just, it tore me to pieces. And I was a lot like my dad, and I began to hate, I began to hate what, what divorce did to my family. I loathed it. It, it tore me to pieces. I, I, I had a rough time, and I made some really poor decisions because of that. Um, and I decided, and I was scared too. I was afraid that I was going to get married and I was going to go down the same path as my parents did. Uh, and, and my hatred for how I felt because of that 
fueled me to, to fight against that. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to pick out divorce because every situation is different. I'm just telling you, that's something that fueled me to say, I don't, I don't want that to happen to, as a child. I didn't want to see my kids go through that. And for each of you, there are things in your life that you battle against, that you fight against because you hate what it has done. Some of you who have lived a life uh, that involved uh, alcoholism or drugs and you hate what that did to your life and how it took things away from you and because of that, that fueled you to say, I don't want any part of that anymore. One of the most difficult uh, funerals I ever did was, it was worse than my grandparents' funerals. The worst one I had to do, even worse than my best friend's or my really good friend's infant baby. Worse than that was my nephew's who was 15 years old who went over to his friends on his birthday. He took his birthday money and he bought some LSD, a harmless drug. And he took it. He had some adverse side effects to him. The, he was at his his friend's parents' house, they were all there. They knew something wasn't right, but, you know, I mean, it's not like you go to the hospital and say, well, this 15-year-old kid in my care is, you know, doing drugs. So they said, let, let him sleep it off. And so he laid down to sleep on his 15th birthday, and he did not wake up. I hate what that did to him. I hated walking into that hospital room and seeing his dead body laying there on that table. And so I, it, sharing that with a bunch of kids in, in that, that, the funeral, I hate what that did to him. I hate that every time I hear the word Ashton, it just brings up chills in my body because I know right now he would be married and he would have kids right now if it weren't for that. Hate can be used to fuel us, to motivate us. It worked for Paul. Uh, it, it works uh, for all believers. We can use the, that strong emotion for good. Now, uh, this may fall differently on you as it would if your spouses were here or brothers were here, but I'm going to go ahead and make the nerdy reference to um, Star Wars. <laughs> Have you all seen Star Wars? Back in the old days, Star Wars, the good Star Wars, when Darth Vader walked, <sighs> I am your father. And he walked around, and at one point in the movie, and I don't know if this is the first, second, or third, or technically I guess it's the fourth, fifth, the sitting at six. Okay, I knew Carol would know that. Barry could replay the scene. And they're standing there, and Darth Vader's there, and he tells them, you're my son, and come join the dark side. And the evil emperor guy's there, and, uh, and Luke is watching his, his people get destroyed. And the emperor says, give in to the hate. Let it fuel you to join the dark side. And I'm paraphrasing here. I butchered that for all the Star Wars fans in here. But you know what? That we can use that hate just as much for evil as we can for good. It can motivate us to do one thing. It can also motivate us uh, to go the other way. First Peter chapter two verse nine says, "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Okay, so now we've all seen some biblical precedents to the fact that hate does exist, and as Christians, we have to fight that emotion. So now we're going to classify two different groups of hate. The first one is passive hate. The first is passive hate. And I bet you can guess what the second one is, but we'll get to that one in just a second. Passive hate. Well, I'll, I'll um, keep you in suspense no longer. The second one is aggressive. Some of you know people who can do both. <laughs> passive and aggressive. When you hate passively, you lose the desire to bless. When you hate passively, you lose the desire to bless. When you hate actively, you are driven by a desire to hurt. When you hate actively, you are driven by a desire to hurt. While both of these may look different, they accomplish the same thing. They can destroy your joy and they drive a wedge between you and God. That's what hate does. It destroys your joy and it drives a wedge between you and God. And who do we hate? We hate those who hurt us and who can hurt us the most? The people in which we are closest to. We have the ability to hate most painfully the people who we love most passionately. We have the ability to hate most painfully the people who we love most passionately. We're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin, but that does not always happen. Smeeds concludes, confesses this. He says, it's not easy to do this, separate the sin and the sinner. He says, the evil I hate wants to stick to the person I hate the way skin sticks to the body, and I can seldom tear them apart. Have you had that issue where you want to hate the sin, but you find yourself maybe hate, we don't want to say hating, maybe a little, maybe disliking, disliking. Oh, let's be honest with ourselves. We hate the person who hurt us. I would go so far to say that we channel hatreds towards people who associate, talk to, or even live near the one who hurt us. Have you ever done that before? Police call this guilty by association. If a guy's in a car and he robs a bank and you're sitting in the back seat, you're guilty by association. Wrong place, wrong time, whatever it is, the person in the back seat is just as guilty as the person who went inside. And sometimes we do the same thing to people who hurt us. When somebody hurts us, all of a sudden, anybody around them, anybody who talks to them, we, we conclude that they must be bad too. Uh, I've asked permission to um, share this, and so I'm not breaking any confidences. Um, but when we were hurt, it was really just by a small handful of people. And I've now concluded that they're not monsters. 
although at one time it felt good to think that they were. But even though it was just a handful of people who basically just said things that weren't true, and I don't know that they probably even really meant to say them, they just said them because that's how conversations go sometimes. And, and we got caught as the snowball rolled past us, and it got bigger and bigger, and by the time it hit us, it steamrolled us, and, and we were hurt pretty bad. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, we just closed in, and, and everything hurt. Everything hurt. Uh, and one, one uh, couple in particular said some things that were, were pretty hurtful. And so we've, we've gone through this process of, of forgiving them, and, and, and trying to, I said, I, did, I, did y'all hear the word process? I want you to know, um, we have not forgiven them past tense. We're still trying. Every day we try. And I want you to know, I mean, I, I believe that someday that I, we will be past, but right now they're still, they're still hurt. We still talk to friends and they still, you know, you know say, wish you were here. And, and we say, no, this is the way it's supposed to be and we love it. And it's great, but there's still hurt that's involved, okay? And a, a few weeks ago, uh, Jennifer ran into their daughter who was in college when all of this took place. She didn't live in the same house. She didn't live in the same zip code. She barely lived in the same state as they did. She had nothing to do with any of the words that they said to us that cut us so deep. And Jennifer was surprised to see her in a place that she did not expect to see her. They just happened to be passing by and saw her. And all of a sudden, she was filled with emotions of hurt and maybe a little bit of resentment that she felt for this girl's parents. This girl was completely innocent. And Jennifer said one of the hardest things I had to do was to go up there and give that girl a hug and pretend like nothing had happened when they had hurt us so bad. This girl was innocent. She had no idea. But, but in our hatred, in our hatred, we tend to attach those feelings of anger towards other people. And all of a sudden, we can become belligerent towards lots of people and caustic. And that's what hatred will do to you. Yes, it is. And, and we, we went through several miscarriages. And it's, I mean, it's hard because we had a family that we were close to that was pregnant around the same time. They went to term and had the baby. And while we were happy for them, we really were there was still strong emotions attached to the fact that we didn't want their baby. We didn't want their baby to be hurt. But when we saw their baby, what we saw is something that we could have had but didn't have. And that's a part of the emotional process. That's how we feel. Now, you can take that and use it for good. And I, I you know, or you can become embittered and angry the rest of your life. You can use it to minister to people who've lost uh, children, who've lost babies, or you can continue to let it fester over and over again. Uh, they may be oblivious and innocent, but we deem them guilty by association. Uh, Smead says this, he says, Only the unearthly saint or an unfeeling oaf 
gets far in life without hating someone. Sometimes passively at least, and now and then with the bursting belligerence of aggressive malice. How is that for a sentence? How true is that? If you live long enough, you're going to get hurt. And unless you crawl under a rock and pretend it didn't happen, you're going to deal with the emotions of hate. And how do you forgive the person who you hate? If we deny the hate, we miss out on an opportunity to forgive. And we talked a little bit about that. We're almost closed down, but I have a few more things. Uh, We attach our feelings to the moment when we are hurt. Listen to this. This is a really... Uh, inspirational for me, eye-opening. We attach our feelings to the moment when we are hurt, endowing it with immortality. And we let it assault us anytime it comes to mind. Do you know how you, you do that? Have you been there? P- oh yes, PTSD, exactly. We attach our feelings to the moment when we were hurt, endowing it with immortality. And we let it assault us any time it comes to mind. That is why forgiveness has to be intentional. We have to genuinely want to fight against Satan as he wants us to relive that moment And let it determine who we are. Forget that you're a child of God. Remember that you were hurt and you deserve to get somebody back. Is what he wants us to do. A little bit of holy hatred. Uh, When we hate a person who deserves the hate, we feel righteous in our hating. Have you ever thought about that before? When somebody hurt us and we say, we should hate them. Because they did bad things, and I should feel good about hating that person. Uh, Real quickly, um, I'll paraphrase, but I think we're all familiar with Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. I contest that the lost son, the prodigal son, is not the young son who wandered out because he came back and he was found. Remember, father says you were lost, but now you're found, you're blind, but now you see. Um, And he says we have to celebrate. The lost son is not the one who came home. Who's the lost son? The one who's out in the field who says, I'm not going to come in. His holy hatred said, I'm better than him and he deserves to be punished. Don't let him in the house. Don't have a feet. Don't have a feast. Take the robe off of him. Take away the sandals. Give back the ring and send him back because that's what he deserves. The older brother was the lost son. He was the one at the end of the story was the one who couldn't come to grips with forgiveness. I'm going to read this last part and then we'll be closed. This is, uh, <clears throat> again, uh, forgive and forget, Lewis, Lewis Mead says this. He says, I recall Michael Christopher's play, The Black Angel, where, the, where he tells the story of Hermann Engel. Engel, a German general in World War II, was sentenced by the Nuremberg court to 30 years in prison for atrocities committed by his army. He survived his sentence and was released from prison. At the time of, his sen- <clears throat> at the, time of it, the play, he is in Alsace, building a cabin in the woods where he and his wife intend to live out the years left to them 
incognito, forgotten, at peace. But a man named Moreau, a French journalist, is waiting in the wings. Moreau's whole family had been massacred by Engel's army during the war. When the Nuremberg court had refused to sentence Engel to death 30 years before, Moreau privately condemned Engel to die. His condemnation was kept alive and hot by the fire of hate he kept kindling in his heart. Now the time had come. Moreau had stoked up the the fanatics in the village close by Engel's cabin. That very night they were going to come up the hill, burn down the cabin, and shoot Engel and his wife dead. Moreau, however, wanted to to get to Engel beforehand. Some gaps in Engel's history plagued the reporter's need for a finished story. So he went up the hill, introduced himself to a shaken Engel, and spent the afternoon grilling the former general about the village massacre that lay like a forgotten shadow in Engel's past. But Engel's feeble humanity, but Engel's feeble humanity, he seemed more less like a monster than just a tired old man confused Moreau. Besides, he was having a hard time putting together all the pieces of this terrible story together. So he was plagued by newborn doubt. His vengeance was blurred. The purity of his hate was contaminated. Toward the end of the afternoon, as the sun fell deep and the woods became a cavern, Moreau blurted out to Engel that the villagers were coming to kill him that night. He offered to lead Engel out of the woods and save his life. But the afternoon's inquisition had brought other kinds of doubts into Engel's mind. Engel paused, eyes fixed on a cone just fallen from a black pine. I'll go with you, he said slowly, on one condition. What? Is he mad? Does he lay down a condition for having his own life saved? What condition? That you forgive me. Forgive? Moreau had exterminated Engel a thousand exquisite ways in the fantasies of hate that he had played in his mind for 30 years. But face to face with the ambiguity of Engel's humanity, Moreau's vengeance was unsettled. He would save a man's life. Yes, he would cancel the execution. But could he forgive him? Never. That night, the enraged villagers came with sacks over their heads, burned the cabin, and shot Engel and his wife dead. Now I ask, why is it that Moreau could not forgive Engel? Why was forgiving even harder than saving Engel's life? It was too much for Moreau, I think, because his hatred had become a passion too long lodged in his soul. Moreau could not live, could, not, could no longer be the person he was without his hatred. He had become his hatred. His hate did not belong to him, he belonged to his hate. He would not know who he was if he did not hate Engel. The tragedy was that only forgiveness, the one thing that, could not, that he could not give Engel, could have set Moreau free. He couldn't separate himself from that. In his hate 
drove him a lot, drove him to be exactly what he hated in Engel, a murderer. Hate is something we feel, but God calls us out of that hate to use that to be a positive influence in this life and to share his story of love when he could have hated. He chose to love. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the mercy that was given to each one of us. The mercy that said that we would not die for our sins, but that Jesus would die. But God, you took it a step further. And you offered us grace. This is not only are we not going to give you, that we are not only going to be freed from what we deserve, you're going to give us something we don't deserve. And that's salvation. That's an opportunity to be in your presence forever. And so we're thankful for the mercy that delivered us and the grace that calls us even further to your side. May we spread that grace and let go of that hate. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.